God's so good. Well, good morning, church. I put my phone down somewhere, which doesn't... Oh, there it is. Hey, cool. Thanks. This is my... Uh, it, it hasn't worked yet, but <laughs> this is my hope that I can see what the next slide is and remember to click it. So that's what that all, all that was. So, uh, good morning, church. And welcome to our neighbors. I'm glad to be together with you. Um, thank you for uh, your kind attention this morning. Um, we've been in a series that's called uh, Passover slash Passion, um, and we've kind of observed in, in, the, in the biographies about Jesus' life that there were religious leaders who were not big fans of Jesus. In fact, they wanted to kill him. And uh, as Jesus was moving towards uh, Jerusalem, he's coming in at a time of this massive celebration that was a thousand-year-old tradition that the Jews celebrated called Passover. And it wasn't a good time for these religious leaders to execute Jesus, to do a criminal trial. Like nobody wants to do a criminal trial at like Christmas time. That just kind of puts a damper on the mood. So they said, we'll find a different time. But um, the text seems pretty clear that God set Judas up or God used Judas, not set him up, but God used Judas to make sure that his execution and his trial all happened at this time. Like God wanted the, the Passion Week, he wanted Jesus' execution to happen at the time of year that they were celebrating the Passover. And so if that's the case, what can we learn about Jesus and our life in him uh, by looking at the Passover? And that's what we've been exploring over the last couple of weeks. We saw that Passover was a, first and foremost an, an, an idea that was related to the firstborn, which is not simply the one who's born first, but also the one that carries the responsibility and the authority for the family. And we saw that Jesus is the firstborn. Then we talked about the lamb. There's this, all of this centers around a meal where a lamb is killed and we eat the lamb. And we saw that, that Jesus is portrayed at the end of time as a lamb that was slain from the foundation of the world who is worthy to open the scrolls of the inheritance of creation. Like he is the lamb and that actually matters a whole lot. Um, and last week we did a, a discourse, a conversation about blood and why is there so much blood in the Bible? And, and we wrestled with our sin a little bit. And we saw that like Jesus's blood is able, it's powerful, it's able to cleanse every sin. And he invites us to be cleansed. He says, you can, you can, I will wash you clean if you come to me. So that was that's kind of a summary of where we've been. We're going to take another look again at a different aspect of the Passover um, and, and how it, it relates to uh, Jesus' teaching and his ministry and even really practically how we uh, participate with him together. So does that sound like something that we're on board for? Yeah, all right, excellent. Let's begin together then uh, in prayer. It's a brand new week. Whatever happened last week, you don't have to live it again. This is a brand new week. We're going in, and so let's bow our heads together, um, and we'll uh, pray together the disciples' prayer, the model of prayer that Jesus left for us. And you can pray with me out loud, um, but at the very least, would you pray in your hearts? Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom 
and the power and the glory forever. Amen. I'll do that right one day. Um, Let's turn together to Exodus chapter 12. Let's navigate to Exodus chapter 12. It's going to be on page uh, 67 if you want to use the blue Bibles that are tucked in the chair in front of you. Exodus chapter 12, and as we pick up this discussion of the Passover, remember that these instructions in Exodus chapter 12 are, are God is giving to the people of Israel before he has delivered them. So he's giving them instructions for how they're going to remember something that God hasn't done yet, which I think is kind of fascinating. Um, but he, he says that this is part of this meal is going to be, is going to kick off a, a period of, of, of fasting, and, and that's what we'll look at together in verse 14. So let's begin reading Exodus chapter 12, verse 14. This day shall be for you a memorial day, and you shall keep it as a feast to the Lord, Yahweh, throughout your generations as a statute forever. You shall keep it as a feast. Seven days you shall eat unleavened bread. On the first day you shall remove leaven out of your houses, for if anyone eats what is leavened from the first day until the seventh day, that person shall be cut off from Israel. On the first day you shall hold a holy assembly, and on the seventh day a holy assembly. No work shall be done on those days, but what everyone needs to eat, that alone may be prepared by you. And you shall observe the feast of unleavened bread, for on this very day I brought your hosts out of the land of Egypt. Therefore, you shall observe this day throughout your generations as a statute forever. In the first month, from the fourteenth day of the month at evening, you shall eat unleavened bread until the twenty-first day of the month at evening. For seven days, no leaven is to be found in your houses." If anyone eats what is leavened, that person will be cut off from the congregation of Israel, whether he is a sojourner or a native of the land. You shall eat nothing leavened in all your dwelling places. You shall eat unleavened bread. The Lord blesses the reading of his word. Um, how many of us are like super excited when we come across those verses in our like personal devotions? We're like, oh, that's so convicting. Like, I, I know what to do with that. Like, is it, there's something there that's just like, that's... That's oddly specific, right? Like there's something, like God's being very clear about something and I don't understand why he's being so specific, right? There's something that's just like, what's the deal? So in this passage, you've got, um, you've got a day, they, call it, they end up calling it the day of preparation where you have to clean your house. He's saying you're not going to eat any leaven um, and so you've got to make sure that you go through and you clean and you dust the house. Because if you have any leaven in the house, like it's going gonna, it's gonna to make the bread to rise. So what he's, what he's talking about is a form of yeast. Okay, so we're, we're talking about baking, a form of yeast. So has anybody experimented maybe in the last couple of years in some of their free time with like doing sourdough starters or, or like baking bread? Does anybody regularly have a habit of baking bread? Yeah, okay, cool. Most of us, like here's, here's the difficulty. Most of us don't bake bread. And so I have to teach you how to bake bread before I can tell you why it matters that they didn't eat the, the yeast, right? Um, for them, 
they made bread every day. This was part of their daily chores was we had to make some kind of a bread or something because this was the staple of what they ate. Um, so the, the thing that you could pretty much guarantee was going to be on, every, on, on the table at every meal was some kind of loaf of bread. And they didn't pick up the Wonder Bread at Publix. They baked it, okay? So the thing that makes bread fluffy is the yeast. And yeast is a bacteria, which is kind of gross, like when you think about it. And, and the thing that makes the bread fluffy is the yeast eating the sugars in the flour. So, so yeast is a bacteria that gets into the bread and it eats the sugars of the flour. And as it does that, it expels carbon dioxide, which makes the bread to rise. Um, so Jesse said, like, maybe you could just like put a flat, uh, a lump of dough here and just like inflate, watch it inflate over the course of the sermon, which would be a pretty cool thing, but not something that I did. Um, so... <laughs> So, so we, uh, because we're so, we're so separated from this, like if we want to bake bread, we're going to go and we're going to buy these little packets of yeast, which are, you know, dried bacteria that then we have to activate with warm water to make them come back to life so then they can eat the sugars so then they can make the bread rise. Like this is a whole thing. But for them, um, there are like regional, uh, regional varieties of wild yeast, so in the ancient world, if you were in Egypt and then you traveled into Europe somewhere, they would have a different kind of yeast. There were like regional varieties in the same way that the flowers in Florida are not the same as the flowers in Ohio. There's different uh, uh, flora, different, different um, plants in different areas. And yeast was the same way. So if you're living in Egypt, you've always eaten the same kind of yeast. And, and what God is doing here is he's saying, hey, you're going to leave Egypt you're going to a different region. I want you to leave the yeast of Egypt behind. Clean your house. Make sure that you dust everything. Uh, make sure that you have no, no uh, leaven, no yeast in your house. For seven days, you're going to fast for yeast. So, so you've got a day of preparation. Then you've got the Passover, what we would call the Passover meal, where we're going to eat the lamb. But that kicks off a period of seven days for a week long where you're not going to eat any yeast. Like you're going to eat unleavened bread. All right, we, we tracking with what we're doing here? Okay. Um, now remember, uh, this is the Lord's Passover. This is Yahweh's Passover. Uh, in verse 11, we talked about it a little bit last week. So he gets to make the rules of how they, how they observe this because the whole thing he's trying to communicate to the Israelites and to the Egyptians and maybe even to us today is I am the Lord. I am Yahweh. Uh, I am that I am. And this is how you're going to interact with me. So you're going to leave the, 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 the leaven, you're going to leave the yeast of Egypt behind as I deliver you out. And it was a sign of the speed of the Exodus. So if you look at the last part of the chapter in verses 33 and 34, as, as God delivers them, as, as the firstborn are killed and, and the Egyptians wake up to find that, in verse 33, the Egyptians were urgent with the people to send them out of the land in haste. Get out of here. Like you've been here for 400 years, but now you're, you're done. Get out of here. For they said, we shall all be dead. They thought if, if God's killing the firstborn, like we must be next on the chopping block. Y'all get out of here. We don't want you here. So the people took their dough before it was leavened. 
their kneading bowls being bound up in their cloaks on their shoulders. So, so they got kicked out of Egypt so quickly, it's almost as if they like pulled the oven out of the wall and carried it on their back and walked. Like, we don't have time to bake this. We're just going to have to take it with us as we go. And it's a sign of how quickly God can change the events of our lives. We can be wrapped up in something, and this can just be the normal way of things are, and then the overnight, God can say, we're going a different direction. You don't have time to adjust. I used to think the Holy Spirit was nice. I used to, like, because I think the Lord is my shepherd, and I've got this picture of white Jesus with a lamb on his shoulders, and I'm just like, he just seems like a nice guy. But the Holy Spirit cares more about who you are than about how comfortable you are. And there are times where he will let, like, he will say, this thing that you're comfortable with is bad for you. We're done with that. And he'll rip out the parts of you that are comfortable there and stamp new things, jam new things into you and say, this is the way we're going now. And the leaven, the yeast of Egypt, was a sign of I'm making, we're making a break. We're doing something different now. What you knew before is not going to control you in the same way. So are we a little bit more excited about the specificity now of, of what God's doing there? It was a sign of the corrupted influence of Egypt. So, so these are, Egypt was, was a, a, a pagan society. They worshiped gods for every, everything. We've talked about that ad nauseum over the last couple of months. Um, but, but yeast, like yeast exists in the air. Like there is yeast in the room with us now. Like it's just, it's a, it's a, it's a function of, of biology that it's everywhere. So if you, put, if you put dough out with no yeast in it, the, the yeast in the air will be like, that's food, and they'll move in. And so even if you don't add yeast, if you give it enough time, it will, it will leaven itself because there's just yeast in the air. It's, it's ubiquitous. Uh, it's universal. It's everywhere. And so when you're living in Egypt, you've got this yeast that's constantly coming. Like, it's just, the, it's just the water we swim in. We don't even think about it. But God's saying, you're going to make a clean break. You're going to, on purpose, separate yourself from Egypt, and you're going to move in a different direction. Um, and it's pervasive. You don't need a lot of yeast to make the whole bit of dough rise. It's ubiquitous and it's pervasive. Just a little bit goes a long, long, long way. So those of you who kind of experimented with sourdough starters, you've got a lump of yeast and you kind of feed the lump with some food, some, some flour to make it grow. Then you pull a, a bit of that lump off and you can make it rise. But then you just kind of feed the starter the whole time. Like, like it's, it's active and it can, it can permeate something that's way bigger than itself. All right? We kind of get the picture? Okay, good. Because one of the first things, this is a personal story, one of the first things that Jesse and I had conflict about in our marriage is that she knows how to cook and I don't. Um, and so I'd go to the pantry and kind of st like stare longingly at the pantry for like 20 minutes. She's like, what are you doing? I'm like, I'm looking for food. She's like, the pantry's full of food. I said, no, the pantry's full of ingredients. I don't know how to put the ingredients together to make food. That's the problem. So I'm not qualified to teach you any more about baking than what I have told you, okay? So I need to move on personally. <clears throat> God, God made his creation good. Like when he finished making everything, he said, it is very good. And that was the original default settings. But, but humanity rebelled against God and reset all the default settings of creation. So like when you get a phone, it has default settings. And then you go through and you change all the default settings to new default settings. And, 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 and when we messed with God's phone, when we rebelled against creation, we'd made all the default settings broken. And the leaven of Egypt 
is representative of those new, broken, default settings of creation. And God's saying, uh, I'm going to set you apart, I'm going to make you distinct from that corrupted default setting. The Bible word that we sometimes use is fallen creation. Okay? I'm going to have to find it real quick. I'm not sure where I'm at. God sets his people apart from the default corruption of fallen creation. That is the feast of bread, of, of unleavened bread. Okay? We, we understand the words there? We good? God sets his people apart from the default corruption of fallen creation. Egypt has fully embraced that the world is the way that it is and there's nothing we can do to change it and we're just going to live what, what is best for ourselves. And that's a function of the default settings of fallen creation. And God says, you're going to take that stuff out of your life and we're going to break with that and move to something new. And that's what he's doing here. Uh, we hit on it a little bit. Um, so in chapter 13, um, they repeat all of the instructions about unleavened bread. In chapter 14, they actually cross the Red Sea and they go out of Egypt. In chapter 15, they sing a song about how great God is. And at the end of chapter 15, there's this, this small passage that we talked about briefly in the series, Who Are We?, um, that I want to look at together really, really quick because God, God brings them out of Egypt, delivers them out of Egypt, uh, and then something else happens. Look with me in chapter 15, verse 22. Then Moses made Israel set out from the Red Sea. So they'd gone through it, and now they're leaving where they landed. And they went into the wilderness of Shur. They went three days in the wilderness and found no water. When they came to Marah, they could not drink the water of Marah because it was bitter. Therefore, it was named Marah. And the people grumbled against Moses, saying, What shall we drink? And he cried to the Lord, and the Lord showed him a log, and he threw it into the water, and the water became sweet. So, they're, they're coming out of the, they've been through the Red Sea, they've been delivered from slavery, now they're thirsty. They've been three days they haven't eaten, and they come to this, this, this uh, um, what do they call it, a pool? A spring? It just says Marah. They couldn't drink the water of Marah. It's a spring. And, because the water was bitter. And so, if you've been three days with no water, and you suddenly see water, what do you do? You drink the water, and the water was bitter. So what we should be reading in between the lines is everybody got sick. Okay, Now, why would God lead, deliver his people out of slavery in a mighty way, take them to a place where they suddenly don't have the basic ingredients of what they need, and then lead them to a place where they were going to get sick? He had delivered them out of Egypt. And here at Mara, he delivers Egypt out of them. He's making them sick, and you're like, Mike, there's, you're reading in between the lines. Yeah, I, I am a little bit. There's some in the language that indicates this, but, but the, thing, the, the thing that God says about this is what makes me think that's what he's doing. There, the Lord said, set for them a statute and a rule, and there he tested them, saying, if you will diligently listen to the voice of the Lord your God and do that which is right in his eyes and give ear to his commandments and keep all the statutes, I will put none of the diseases uh, of... Uh, I will put none of the diseases on you that I put on the Egyptians, for I am Yahweh, the Lord, your healer. So, so he, he takes them out of Egypt, and then he's got to get Egypt out of them. And so they get sick. Like they are, they're physically processed. You should be hearing me say poop without saying poop. And that's just for the, the teenagers in the back, so they might wake up a minute. Right? 
So they're, 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 they're processing Egypt out of their system. What has God delivered us out of that we have carried with us? What has God delivered us out of that we still carry with us? We, we, are, are, we, we can't help it. We grew up the way that we grew up. We had the family that we had. And, and we learned ways of living. And we come to Jesus and he offers us salvation. He delivers us from the bondage of slavery. But the only way we know how to live is the way that we were living yesterday. And so we just kind of keep the same habits as we go forward. But, but what are the things that God has delivered us out of that we still carry with us? The process of getting rid of that stuff simply can be described as bitter. Not pleasant. And yet it's God's mercy that he would lead us to a point where he's trying to draw those things out of us. Because the way he wants to lead us is a way that's different from what we learned in Egypt. It's a way that gives our whole life pointed towards him, where we can walk in a pure relationship with him, and, and we can be blessed to live a true life. We, we sometimes will reject the sweet fruit of the Spirit because we are just so accustomed to the leaven of Egypt. All I know is the bread that I've eaten, and that fruit just tastes goofy. I don't think I want it. That whole love your enemies? Mm, I don't think so. Patience? Have you driven in traffic? Like, I don't think I can be that person. Gentleness? Kindness? That's for sissies. Like, that's not how we do things. That's not how my dad raised me. What has God delivered us out of that we still carry with us? Some of the leaven is sin. And some of the leaven leads to sin, but our confidence, our confidence is this, that Jesus' blood is able to cleanse every sin, and our hope is this, our great joy is that he invites us to be cleansed. <laughs> our, uh, the, the students last night said, hey, what are you preaching on? I said, I only have half a sermon. Because, because I can get us to this point and I feel like we've kind, of, we've kind of hit the main ideas and so now we've got to take it out of the land of like Egypt and bring it, bring it forward to us. But to do that, I'm actually probably going to need a little bit more time than we have. So I'm going to ask your permission because I can, I, can, I can stop here um, and, and maybe we'll pick up next week. But like, are we, do we want, to, we want to take one more step here and go a little bit deeper. We're going to go over time, but I'm, I'm just, you guys okay with that? Okay, if you've got plans and you've got to go, that's all good, but, 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 but we're here, we're going to do this, all right? God's taken up a people that for 400 years, all they've known is slavery in Egypt, and now he's going to teach them how to walk in a new way. So he gives them this, this, first, like, uh, his, this first step into some dietary restrictions of like, you're going to have this holiday once a year where you don't eat unleavened bread. And they're like, okay, cool, I guess. But he's actually like prepping them for, for dietary restrictions in their law that he hasn't given to them yet. And there are going to be many of them. And you will probably recognize these as kosher law. Right? The Jews still follow today. So he's, he's saying, we're gonna, we're gonna, you're going to honor me with the way that you eat. It's going to be distinct. It's going to be a little bit goofy, but that's what I want for you to do. Um, 
It's going to set Israel apart from other nations. And then in chapter 16, he's going to teach them about daily bread. He's going to deliver them bread from heaven so that not only are you separated from Egypt um, and Egypt is cleansed out of you, but now you're going to learn every day, six days a week to walk with me as you go out and you collect bread. And the seventh day you learn to rest. And so we talked about that a lot in the sermon. It's called, uh, What Does Your Calendar Look Like? in the series, Who Are We? So if that's interesting to you, a new idea, then I would, I would check that out there. Um, <laughs> so God brings them out, and he gives them the whole law. He teaches them what they should do. And they say, okay, that sounds great, God, we're going to do it. And he brings them to the promised land, and they're on the doorstep of the promised land, and they get scared. And they say, God, we can't go in. There's people in there, and they're going to kill our children. And God says, I'm sending you in there, go. And they say, no, we're not going to go. They're going to kill our children. He says, well, then to prove to you that I am God and I'm the one who brought you out of Egypt, you are not going to get to go into the land, but I'm going to go in with your kids. And so they wander around until all of them die off for 40 years, and then their kids get to go in. But before their kids go in, Moses kind of has to explain to them all of the stuff that Moses taught to their parents first that they said was a good idea, but then they didn't do. So Moses now has an opportunity to teach the next generation of like, this is how we actually are going to walk with God. And that book is called the book of Deuteronomy. And there's a passage in Deuteronomy in, 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 verse, uh, in chapter 18, verses 15 through 19, you don't have to look there, where Moses says, hey, look, like God has raised me up and I'm, and I'm getting ready to die. Like we're going, I'm not going to make it in the promised land, but you guys are going to go. But Yahweh, the Lord is going to raise up a prophet after me and you should listen to his voice. If you don't listen to the prophet after me, who is greater than me, then I will expect your life from your hands. So, so Moses is saying, hey, look, I'm not the guy. There's somebody coming after me, and he's the one that you guys need to listen to. I uh, have some biases, but I'm inclined to think that that guy is, is Jesus. All right? So that's where I'd like to jump to. God sets his people apart from the default corruption of fallen creation. Let's look together in John chapter 6. It's going to be on page, oh, I don't know what page it is. John chapter 6, it's going to be on page 1112, 1112 in the Blue Bibles. John chapter 6. <clears throat> I, I love, oh man, I love this, this, this chapter. There's so much here. Um, and it matters, like it, it actually matters. It, 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 um, just look with the headings with me briefly. At the beginning of chapter six, Jesus feeds 5,000. It's interesting, um, Jesus feeds 5,000 men around the time of the Passover. It says in verse four that it was around the time of the Passover, which, I, which makes me wonder, like, did this kid have like extra unleavened bread in his basket or what happened? But uh, that's a different thing. Um, so in verse 15, John chapter 6, verse 15, he feeds 5,000 men and they come after him, perceiving then that they were about, these people were about to come and take him by force and make him king. Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. So he feeds 5,000 people. They get real excited. They're like, oh, dude, this guy's it. We're going we're gonna, to like, take over the world with this guy because um, he feeds us. And he's like, yeah, you guys don't get it. And he backs up. Like he, he withdraws and he ends up like walking across the water. And I just want to show you this. You'll, it'll make sense why I want to show you this. It'll seem like I'm telling you something that doesn't matter, but it matters. When evening came, his disciples went down, down to the sea, got into a boat and started, to cross, uh, started across the sea to Capernaum. Now it was dark and Jesus had not yet come to them. The sea became rough because a strong wind was blowing. And when they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus walking on the sea and coming near to the boat, uh, 
they saw Jesus walking on the sea and coming near the boat, and they were frightened. But he said to them, it is I. Do not be afraid. Then they were glad to take him into the boat. And immediately the boat was at the land to which they were going. So, so, so they leave, and Jesus doesn't go with them. But then the storm comes up, and they're going across the sea, and they see Jesus kind of walking across the water, okay? Like, I'm scared by that too, right? That's not supposed to happen, okay? But what's interesting, he says, he says and every translation does this, the words are, uh, he's, they translate it as, it is I, okay? Uh, we don't have the biographies in the original language. They're originally written in Greek, the Greek words here are actually important. It's ego and me. Can you say ego and me? It means I, myself, am. Like I, ego means I, and if you put I, I am, it's an emphasis of like, it's me, I'm it. I am. Jesus walks across the water and he says, I am. Do not be afraid. As the first of seven times in this biography that he's going to say, I am. I am. I am. And I hinted back that when we talk about the name of God as Yahweh, Yahweh means I am that I am. So I think Jesus is walking across the wall and just like, Yahweh, I'm it. Amen. Okay, so... He gets there, and now he's going to teach, okay? So he's fed the people. He's made this claim that he is God in, in a way that I don't even know that they quite understood. And, 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 and then in verse 25, when they found him, these, these crowds of people obviously went looking for the, the pastor that feeds them all the time. So they went and found him on the other side of the sea, and they, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? How did you get here? They didn't see your boat. And Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, you were seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him, God the Father has set his seal. Then they said to him, what must we do to be doing the works of God? Jesus answered them, this is the work of God that you believe in him whom he has sent. So they said to him, then what is the sign you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate manna in the wilderness. As, as it is written, he gave them bread to eat from heaven. And Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. They said to him, Sir, give us this bread always. Jesus said to him, them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me and yet you do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life. And I will raise him up on the last day, and I'll skip down because um, they argue with him to verse 47. He says, Truly I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate, uh, your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, and they died. 
This is the bread that comes down from heaven so that no one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. So Jesus is talking to some Jews. He's talking to people who know the Feast of Unleavened Bread. He, they know like, how uh, bread is a staple. And, and, and he says to them, like, you guys, don't, you guys don't quite get it. Like, 1,500 years later, you don't get it yet. Like, I am the bread. Jesus looks people in the eye and says, dude, you got to eat me. Like, that's, that's weird, right? Like, we're in church. We, we say some weird things, but that's a weird thing, right? Okay? And, and, and it was unsettling to a lot of people. Um, <laughs> In verse 52, the Jews disputed among themselves, saying, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? How are we going to eat? We ain't cannibals. That's unclean. Like, we're not allowed to do that. How can he give us his flesh to eat? That doesn't make any sense. And in verse 60, that was the Jews, the people he was trying to teach. In verse 60, when many of his disciples, people who had already bought into Jesus, when many of his disciples heard it, they said, this is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? Any amens? But Jesus, knowing in himself that his disciples were grumbling about this, he said to them, do you take offense at this? Then what if you were to see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? What if you saw me when I was in heaven before I came down to you? It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. The words that I have spoken to you are Spirit and life. But there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning who those were who did not believe and who it was who would betray him. And he said, this was why I told you that no one can come to the Father unless it is granted to him by the Father. And after this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. Jesus says, I am the bread of life. I have the true life. Like, if you feast with me, you will be filled. I need to skip a couple. If you feast with me, you will be filled. And they say, well, how do we do that? Like, we're not going to eat you. And he says, if you, if, you, if you had seen me before I came down to you, you would get it. It would make sense. But unless, unless you eat me, you have no part of me. And they're like, yeah, we're out. I can't, I can't do it. I don't, I don't understand. God sets his people apart from the default corruption of a fallen creation. And, and as Jesus is kind of explaining to these Jewish people, they, what was their question? What must we do to be doing the works of God? Like, what do we have to get out? What do we have to cleanse? What do we have to stop doing? What words are we not allowed to say anymore? What places are we not allowed to go anymore? What substances are we no longer allowed to consume? Just tell us what to do to separate ourselves from the world, and we will do it. And he says, it's not about what you don't do. It's about who you are. It's about what is inside of you. And if I am not the one who is inside of you, then you have no life. You have to not just believe in me, but internalize who I am. It's, it's, it's a belief thing. There's, there's a sense of understanding that happens in our head. But if it stays in our head, it's dead. Like, we have to internalize it. Jesus becomes part of who we are. 
What must we do to be doing the works of God? Um, <laughs> what do we get rid of? What do we clean out of our life? What are the things that are holding us back? Like, how can I follow you? What are the steps I need to take? And there's, there's a legalism, a religious legalism of like, I must do things to make sure that I'm walking right with God. And if that's kind of where you're, here's, here's my problem, because like, I'm already over time, but here's my problem is like, the rest of the New Testament like deals with all, like the, all the rest of the book is kind of about this, okay? Um, and so if you're like, yeah, like I want to figure out what are the rules that I have to follow, like uh, then, then check out Galatians chapter five. Like it's, it's all about like how relig- religious legalism doesn't save you. And you're like, okay, cool. Reli- like I don't have to follow any kind of rules. I can just like believe in Jesus and I can live the way that I want to and I can just do whatever it is because Christ is already making me clean. So how, what, like how could I be accountable for any of that kind of stuff? And that's actually a different side, like it's the same coin of legalism, but it's the opposite direction of like, I don't, I'm not beholden to anybody. Like I have forgotten the one who bought me. And so I'm going to do what I want as opposed to serving them. And so if you like, if you lean towards religious legalism, check out Galatians chapter five. If you lean towards like that legalistic license, then check out first Corinthians chapter five, where he talks about the way that he talks about our sex life and like whether or not Jesus has the right to tell us who to sleep with or not. So it can go both ways. And I'm, as, as like the person who's kind of sharing this with you, I'm like, man, I don't want to bring you guys up to this and be like, yo, it's there. But we can get so bogged down in examining and trying to micromanage the strain of the regional leaven that we're accustomed to that we miss the bread of life. And so that's what I want to do this morning is point you to the bread of life. How are we putting our whole trust in Jesus? Like, like, like when it comes down, when we, if someone were to examine your life throughout the week, how are you putting your whole trust in Jesus? Is it just something that I know is going to happen on Sunday? Or is it something that's driving me and getting me out of bed on a Thursday morning? How are we putting our whole trust in Jesus? Because God sets us apart from the corruption of creation through our internalization of Jesus. Verse 67. So Jesus said to the twelve, do you want to go away as well? You guys out? Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life and we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. What other options do we have, Jesus? Like, I don't quite get it. It makes me uncomfortable to talk about. I don't like that you have the authority to tell me what to do with my life. I like that you set me free. But what, else, what are my other options? Where else will I go? You have the words of life. Do we find life in the words of Jesus? Because he wants us to deliver us from the death of thinking that we can earn our own way to God. And he wants to deliver us from the death that says that I don't need to be saved. I'm good enough as it is. Let's pray together. (laughs) 
Lord, um, your thoughts are not our thoughts. Your ways are not our ways. And God, your thoughts are higher than ours. And Lord, I feel um, personally, just transparently, I feel uh, inadequate to explain this. Um, so for all of the words that I have said, God, I pray that if there are any of them that are just my opinion or my own sinful twisting of your word, that, that Lord, you would wash those away real quick, that they'd be forgotten. But that, Lord, where we have encountered your spirit in your word, that that would hold fast in our hearts. The Lord, as you are bringing to mind anchor points to Egypt that we protect, as you ask us to give them back to you, to allow you to forgive them, um, Lord, would you give us the confidence in your Son that what you're asking us to do is life and not death? There is no surgery which is not painful. Lord, teach us to trust that your hand with the knife is cutting out what is going to kill us. Lord, too, I know my own heart is quick <laughs> to think of those who need to hear your word before I have myself interacted with it. And so, Lord, let us not uh, shift the blame or shift the attention to another and the things that they need to do, but, Lord, let us sit with you and let you do the surgery on us that we need to do individually. We thank you for this morning. We thank you for your word. And we thank you that you love us too much to leave us where we are. That you love us too much to deliver us out of something and to let us carry it with. But that, Lord, we can surrender all things to you. Help us. Give us strength to run back to you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Um, this series is moving us towards um, something that we'll hopefully talk about uh, if the Lord wills for us to permit, yeah, if the Lord wills for us to meet next week. Um, I hope you can kind of see some of this, the, the elements are on the table for us to eat communion, right? Like we've got the blood and we've got the wine and we've got the bread and we've got Jesus at the table. And so like, that, like I'm hoping that next week it'll all kind of click together for us. And so if you're feeling that tension, I'm like, what do I do with this? Um, my encouragements are this. Go back to the scriptures. There's something in there that God wants to clarify for you um, that I can't give you. Um, and two, um, we've got more, more conversation to come. Um, and second, uh, or and third, I guess, uh, these questions are meant for us to like personally reflect on. Um, but... I have a tendency to lie to myself, and so sometimes it's helpful to just surround myself with some people that are also following Jesus to share a meal 
and to ask these questions of one another. So if you, uh, if you don't have a group like that and you'd like to figure out how to make that happen, then be happy to help you with it. Um, but it, it doesn't have to be real formal. Just, hey, I, I need to process some of this stuff that I think God's teaching me. So, um, For right now, we'll just take a few minutes of, of quiet and give God space to, to finish speaking without, without my mouth running. Um, and so uh, we'll just sit quietly for a few minutes, reflect on how God's speaking this morning um, before we close together and sing. Thank you.